This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, we quote the Raven. If you've ever seen a Raven, it was probably black. There are some rare exceptions, but it's probably black. So it stands to reason that the hypothesis that all Ravens are black does hold some water, at least in the world of advanced logic. So if you see something that is not black, you can logically conclude that that thing is not a raven. Let's try it. If you see a green apple and you see that it's green, it's therefore not a raven because all ravens are black. However, the raven paradox dictates that seeing a green apple is not only proof that the apple is not a raven, it is somehow also proof that all ravens are black. How can that be? How can observing something that is not a raven be proof that all ravens are black? Well, this little mind bender led to a series of arguments in academic journals that explore what constitutes evidence for a logical argument. And for what it's worth, there are albino ravens. Oh, I guess we'll just kick it off, man. Uh, episode 103 of Game Theory Podcast about competition, strategy, and decision making. I touch the wrong button, it happens. I don't know. Many people get better at the things that they do over time. <laughs> then there's us. Yeah. Welcome, Player 3. We're happy you're here with us for the Player 103rd three. episode of this podcast. It's starting to feel like a strong term for what we're doing here. But we're glad you're here with us. Yeah. Um, you know, I just got to go out there and get better every week. And uh, I'm going to watch some film and, and, and take care of business. Today, we did, we've been doing some heavier stuff, and we wanted to do something dumb. And so I saw this video on the internet about a paradox, and I was like, I don't get it. And then I Googled it, and I was like, yeah, you know, I don't still, still don't get it. So we're going to try to get it uh, together. But before that, Chris, I have I one of my favorite comedians said something about his physique one time, and I thought, that's so funny. I get the joke. And then now I'm like, I really get the joke. Um, he said, I... I have no longer, I have no intention to become physically fit anymore. I'm going for a strong, independent woman. And, <laughs> and I get it. Like, I, I, I can now go down the stairs one foot at a time after spraining my ankle playing hockey, which I never did ever. I played so much hockey, never sprained my ankle. That's how out of shape I am, that I could roll your ankle on skates. It hurts as bad as you could think it hurts, for sure. Well, what's the, what's the cause of a sprained ankle? When it comes to hockey, is it lack of knee bend? Are you lacking quad strength? Is that the problem? Um, actually, I think the quad strength helped me not completely fracture my fibula and tibia. Um, I tried to jump over a stick. I tried to like, do a little leapy crossover thing, and my skate was like, no, we don't know. Uh-uh. And so when I landed, it was like, and then I just able to like hop off. And the, the, there was a guy that I was like engaged with. That he was a physical You're engaged to a guy? Yeah, but with a guy, not to a guy. Come on, Chris. With a guy. Engaged with him. Thank you. And so he was like, oh, that was bad. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Can you help? And I finished the game, though. Right. And so now I can go down the stairs one at a time, and I'm going for strong, independent woman. I have my yoga mat behind me. I got a walking pad, which is neato. I'm thinking about doing a, ch a stream where I play a two-hour chess tournament while walking on the walking pad. I haven't streamed in a while. I can't decide what's going to go first. Yeah. Is your, is your chess game going to crap out or are your knees? So I did it. What is what is a walking pad? What it's does like that mean? a little mini like a treadmill? treadmill. Yeah, it's like a mini treadmill that you can just slide under desks and things. Like I, So for example, for those of us that stress out when you watch your favorite sports team or show, you can pace. I just lift up this monitor right here and I just like do it. So I did it I did it one time for an hour. I did a chess tournament. And I, really hard to focus on chess, but I found myself focusing on focusing on chess. Like it wasn't as bad as I thought. It was kind of cool. Well, that's neat. I would I would tune into that. What's your what's your Twitch stream? I, I deleted it. I'm starting a new one. So we're trying to oh, figure good. out we're rebranding. This is the year of our Lord, which is something I said I would stop saying in 2024. But we're yes. <laughs> back on our bullshit. already. Yeah, already. So I don't know. I'm going to set up a chess stream. We're going to do that. Um, I have decided with some feedback from some listeners that Instagram will be the flagship social media of our Let's of, do of this here podcast. We will be communicating on YouTube and TikTok, and we've been doing shorts here and there and, and all of that. Every episode is on YouTube, sometimes a couple days later. The reason that this episode is dropping a day late, last week we had an excuse, this week we had an excuse, had some actual personal family things I had to attend to. This is a Wednesday podcast. Eventually, it will be a yes. Tuesday podcast again. It is a Wednesday podcast. So that are our apologies uh, for that. And I'm really excited about some of the stuff we've got coming up this year. Uh, so I think as soon as 
uh, as early as maybe March or April, we're going to start republishing some of our older episodes just to give people a heads up. And that has to do with like how many new people are here and how maybe have missed it. And if you're binging, Welcome. yeah, deserve the to man, laugh. Bandwagon is wide open. We're, we have <laughs> no, we don't play any favorites. No. We do have our favorites. We don't play favorites. Yeah. That's a different that's a different thing. We're just happy that you're here with us. We, we find all kinds of interesting stuff about game theory all the time. Right. It's a huge field, and it's not just about game theory as game theory. It's all kinds of strategic thinking and decision-making stuff. There's just so much of it out there, and we just like talking about it. Yeah. And we're glad that you're here yeah. with us. And some of it is a little bit unfortunate because we talk about things that, I don't know, the story is incomplete sometimes. Like, for example... You might have heard our recent episode on the Stanley Cup craze, mm. and we're not talking about early 2000s Detroit. Mm-hmm. We're talking about those big Stanley mugs, the the really fashionable ones. Mm-hmm. Turns out they may contain lead. You hear about that? <laughs> yeah, but it's not exposed to you. It's on like under the paint or something. Allegedly, it's used in the manufacturing process. This is an article from uh, from today.com. Daryl Austin writes, Stanley's responding to claims that its products contain lead, clarifying that, yes, lead is used in the manufacturing process, but the product needs to become damaged in order to expose the lead. So here's the thing about lead. Here's what I'm going to tell you what I know about lead as somebody who used to work with lead. I didn't. I wasn't like a lead maker. Lead is really useful as like a heavy radiation shielding thing. It shields yeah. gamma rays really so effectively. So there's a lead vest you take an x-ray, you know, like the big old thing. Yeah, so here's the thing. That doesn't really do much for you just because oh, of the energy of the x-rays. It's, it's, not, it's not super thick, but x-rays and gamma rays, like those are both forms of light. They're just different energies and they interact with the electrons in a material. Lead is really dense and it's a really heavy element. It's It's got a ton of electrons floating around out there. And so it just has a lot of chances to interact with light. So it will attenuate that kind of stuff. So in the event of like a nuclear blast, that's like 60 miles away. If you stand behind your Stanley Cup collection, theoretically, you'll get a little bit smaller dose from the gamma rays that'll oh. come off that nuclear blast. So it could come in handy. Wow. Lead is really toxic when it's consumed. So if like you get it on your hands and then ingest it in any way, really, really bad stuff. So if it's in the mugs, that could be a problem if it becomes damaged because then you are now exposed to this toxic thing. But by itself, lead isn't like radioactive. In fact, lead is really stable. And so it's a, it's a common thing for radiation shielding, but I would not feel good about drinking. Is it weird, a weird Barbara Streisand effect know. happening right now too, where like the fat has become so mainstream, like Hoda on Good Morning America or whatever show she's on is talking about the Stanley Cup craze. We did an episode on it. It's like in the news. If they had found it, like if this was a low key fad before it was cool kind of thing and they found lead in it, that would like not be news, right? Like no one would care, but because it's so popular, like, yeah, I found lead in this thing. Like that thing that you love, it could kill you. Yeah, but absolutely. Well, and now it, well, and now we're falling back into, there, there's always been, a stylish mug of choice. Yeah. There's always been a prestige drink carrying device. And so now all of the, all these competitors like the now jeans and the, and the whomevers, they get the chance to say they're, they're doing stuff now right. on their social media pages saying like, Oh, our products don't contain lead. And they've been really snarky about it. It's like, apropos of nothing, we don't have any, well, poisonous, that's heavy the proximity paradox, right? If, if people drink Stanley that's cups, proximity paradox. Go yes. to the store and be like, you know what this hydro, this is a hydro flask house over here. This hydro flask is also, is also pretty good. I do have another game theory thing that, um, I don't know that if this were sports, more game and sports centric, we could do an episode on this one because we have another clusterfuck in sports. Um, oh boy. Yeah, it's a big one. It's a great one. It's great. It's so funny. I love disincentives. So, Women's soccer, there are two big tournaments and one stupid tournament that I think is so stupid. It's called She Believes. It's so stupid. So then there's the World Cup. It's just like international. They know that most people only watch international soccer, which we can get into the misogyny and sexism and the weird vindaloop. No, let's do fun things. Yeah, no, we'll let's, do do, things. let's do fun things. So there's the Olympics today. and the World Cup. They're usually back to back for international women's soccer. In soccer, that's not the Olympics. Great Britain through blood, sweat, and blood, united a group of kingdoms, right? Including Scotland, Wales, yes. Northern Ireland, right? That's Great and, Britain. And England, of course. And yeah. England, so yes. Great Great Britain refers to those right. four countries. So for, that's, the, that's the United Kingdom. Great Britain, I think, refers to the larger yes. of the two British Isles, two Great main Britain, British yes, Isles. The main British Isles. So, which the other is Ireland. There's also the Isle of Man, the Isle of Wight. Yes. Which that included in that. The, whatever body of water is between Ireland. It's a mess. It's a big mess. Okay, so in international soccer, England, Scotland, Wales, 
Northern Ireland, they compete individually, which I've always kind of been slightly charmed by. I like that. I understand that, like, for example, in this last World Cup, if you paid attention, Wales was in the group with the United States, which is a big moment because they have had one of the best footballers of the last 20, 30 years, Garrett Bale. He was on the Wales. It's nice to see Garrett Bale getting to play Gareth, by the way. I'm saying it right. Don't come at me. Get to play in a World Cup. That's really great. If he had been on the England squad, however, in the last three or four World Cups, that would have been probably pretty helpful. And I imagine that they actually might have won one a couple times ago. But it's really cool to see him wear the jersey. However, in the Olympics, the Olympic Committee, a little bit more hard ass. They're like, no, you are all Great Britain. And so, like, okay, which touche. Fair Honestly, enough. It kind of makes it, it kind of makes sense. Both things yeah, are fine. Sure, that's me. fine. I'm totally fine. However, in the qualifying stages for the Olympics of the soccer team, what England does and Great Britain does is dirty. They all compete against Europe in their own individual teams, but only Great Britain can send a team as a thing. So they are still competing in qualifiers. It's like Scotland is competing in qualifiers and England is competing in qualifiers. And I don't know how they pick who gets to have the jerseys and whatever, but they're in qualifiers against each other, right? Mm -hmm. But they had to compete as Great Britain. So we have a situation. I'm going to put the, here's a TikTok guy. There you see him. Right there. So we had a situation. Yeah, we're back to we're back to showing phones Subscribe to our YouTube. on video. Honestly, we don't do that Subscribe enough. To to shouts channel. to this guy. His name is Devin. Okay, so Devin. It, it looks like it looks like that was drawn with a potato. The video. I mean, this is just such poor video. Uh, yeah, I got to. Well, it's the light. I got to. I'm, I'm upgrade camera. You yeah, yeah, it's through. the light. Yeah. So yeah. The, in the group stage of this this tournament is the Netherlands, England, Belgium, and Scotland. England okay. and Scotland are in the same thing. Okay. Unfortunate. Right. So for England to qualify, what they need to do is to beat the other three. But for Scotland, they are not going to qualify. So they really also need England to qualify. So Scotland's like, you know what would be really sick? As if we like accidentally purposely lost to England and Belgium. Yep. Yes. Whoops. So I don't know what happened. I'll look into that and, and have an update for you. But like, that's not what we want to happen. Where teams like, yo, we are quitting on purpose so that and the t- the players on that team not all of them obviously but the three or four really good ones are like I want to go to the Olympics so I'm not that's gonna wild. try hard yeah yeah the whole concept <laughs> of qualification it I guess it makes sense because you can't just like have everybody right. playing everybody right. randomly yep. all the time I mean like you can't have the United States of Americas of the world playing against like Trinidad and Tobago that would be a huge waste of everybody's time <laughs> That was mean. Okay, so let's get to our paradox. Um, real quick, though, before we do get to our paradox, I have a philosophy joke for you. Are you ready? Oh, God. A horse walks no. into a bar, oh. and the man says, hey, are you a horse? And the horse says, I don't think I am, which is funny. That is funny. It is funny because, is the, funny. Horse, because the horse, you know, like Descartes, he said, I think, therefore, I am. And the horse said, I don't oh, think I'm, I, I am a horse, therefore, he disappeared. Um, and that's funny, but I didn't want to put Descartes before the horse. <laughs> I don't know who allowed you. I don't know. I got no, it. That's, that's, that's on me. That's so funny. That's okay. So we're talking about this Raven paradox and it is, I saw a video about it and then I read a tweet about it. I was like, oh, that's fun. We'll do an episode. And then I got more into it and I'm like, okay, I don't get it. And, um, this is really weird. I don't understand the, the paradox. And then I got into the comments, which is a great place to learn things. Uh, and the comments yes. were like, I don't get it. And everyone's like, I don't get it either. So let's just start with what the Raven Paradox is and when it started. So it came about, I believe, right around World War II, like in the 40s. I think it might have actually been 1940s. And it starts like this, Chris. Hypothesis. All ravens are black. Statement number okay. two off of that hypothesis is, if something is not black, then it is a raven. Okay. Formal logic. If something is not black, then it is not, not a, a raven. raven. Right. Let's get that correct. Because the, the, the R's and the R nots matter a, quite yes. a lot in this. Yes. And this is where, okay, so this is where it gets weird for me. So you, that makes sense. Like, so it's like, if this, then this. And then if this, then this. Both things working together. So if I'm at the grocery store and I see an apple and the apple is red. And I said, that apple is red. Therefore we can conclude that that is evidence that all ravens are black. Even though no one's looking at a raven. It sounds like a leap to me. It does. It sounds like we're, it sounds like we're getting somewhere very, very fast right. based on an observation of something that's not really, Correct. not really pertinent. No, it makes zero sense. Like, how does this have anything to do 
with anything. Well, the idea is that statement, statement two is where the weirdness comes in. Because you're like, if something is not black, then it is not a raven. That means that all things that are not black cannot be raven, and therefore is evidence that all ravens are black. Which, on its surface, is like, well, that's, I guess, true and false, and who cares about this? But as you dive deeper, you think to yourself, how can it be evidence of anything to do with the raven? And there are philosophers that, and we'll get into this a little bit, with solutions and things that are like, yeah, that's true, this is stupid. But, okay, I think we got the gist of this. Right, I, th- I think we do too. So just, just a little bit of additional yeah. historical background. The first person to propose this as such, this Raven paradox, is Carl Gustav Hempel. Hempel. And he was writing about this in the 40s. So he was, a, he was a German mathematician and philosopher who basically, his life spanned pretty much the 20th century. So he was born in 1905 and died in 97. And he was one of the proponents of logical positivism. And I, I, I think I've talked about the book, the, the History of Ideas book that I read recently yes. that bit by Jacques Barzun. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. But logical positivism was a kind of worldview-changing thing that was born sort of on the on the edge of modernity. It was like in the in the 19th century as people started to become more, more attuned to like a hard and fast proof-based style of understanding the universe as opposed to like a religiously informed or doctrinally informed notion of what the universe looks like. Logical positivism was the stream that kind of like ran through the set of ideas. And it was that you can use your reasoning and you can use your powers of observation to deduce things about the world that you wouldn't otherwise be able to know. And you don't have to rely on divine revelation or theological reasoning or like the the, the kind of intellectual bedrock that had formed a lot of thought in the Middle Ages. That's not to say that, that medieval thinking was entirely wrong or that it was out of place. It was just a different way of viewing the world. Right. And this concept of logical positivism of which Carl Gustav Hempel was a proponent it was was this development that kind of came out of Vienna. Uh, Wittgenstein is a, is a big proponent of that. So those of you who like David Foster Wallace will will be familiar with that name. And it basically holds that not only are propositions true or false, but statements that can't be shown to be either true or false are meaningless. Mm-hmm. That's the real crux of, of the concept. So it's like, if you okay, well, if you can't prove something or disprove something, if you can't show something to be true, or you can't show something to be false, then it doesn't really have a ton of value. And so you can kind of see how Hempel would get to this this Raven paradox because he's got he's got two kind of they're not really competing, but they're intuitive principles of inductive reasoning. We've talked about inductive reasoning yep. on the show, which is where you you can kind of extrapolate ideas. So the two principles are as follows: logically equivalent claims are interchangeable. Yep. So that's like a equals a and or and a equals a or a equals b and b equals a. And then the second principle is that particular instances confirm the corresponding universal generalization. But the problem is that you you can combine those two things together and have this weird conclusion that says all A's are B's. So all, all things that are A are also B. But that can be confirmed by observing things that are neither A nor B. And yeah. that's where you get to the, the, the grocery store example. Nick, you're walking along, you find a Granny Smith apple, you say, well, that's not black. It's not a raven. Therefore, all ravens are black. Right. It's like you're, you, you've, you've arrived at a paradox because you can't, you can't verify the claim that all ravens are black based on going and shopping for Granny Smith, which are the fourth best apples available. Yeah, the but record. they're the best for like applesauce and stuff. Granny Smith? Oh, I mean, you want some red ones, but you got to throw some. If you don't have the sour ones in there, yeah, no. I mean, you want an element. At yeah. best, they're supporting. I'll learn you. Yeah. Let's, let's be real. Yeah. I mean, well, it's like it's like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, he's like, what would the movie be without him in every movie he's in? <laughs> Specifically, Apple Imports. Yeah, he's the green. He's the green apple of actors. Okay, so part well, of the deal is, I know I know a non-zero number of women who go absolutely feral for his portrayal of Gust in Charlie Wilson's War. Uh, I mean, that scene of him at the bar with Julia Roberts. Yeah. Um, Apparently, that's what women want. Julia Roberts, or at least some women, too, for sure. Um, that's a great movie. Well, that's a great, great movie. movie. Yeah, yes. great movie. I'm gonna watch but, that movie. So, okay, so I'm gonna, so, I'm gonna so jump this, in real this quick. thread of because there's something that it took me a minute to understand that, and I didn't. It's not that it wasn't explicitly said, it implicitly said. It was that I had to understand all ravens are black as a hypothesis does not equal all black things are ravens, right? So that was I, then I was like, right. oh right, that's part right. of this too. So like, if I see a black computer monitor. That doesn't mean it is a raven. It means it could be a raven because all ravens are black. Similar to all squares are rectangles, not all rectangles are squares. But that's a little bit more intricate because that's factual mathematics. This is a logical thing. So it took me a minute to understand, like, oh, okay, because it wasn't implicitly said. 
if if the if the apple was black, it could be a raven. It isn't. Right. We're observing it, but it could be. But if it is not black, it cannot be a raven. And that's where you have two things kind of equaling each other. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that, that's exactly right. And the, the, the kind of schoolboy example of what you're talking about here with like not all ra- all ravens are black, but not all black things are ravens. It, you think of like okay, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. It's like okay, ravens are among other things black. They're animals of a certain genus and species. They have a certain genetic composition. They have certain observable features like beaks of a certain length and behaviors of a certain variety. And they're distinct from other non-raven things in ways that don't include their color. They're, that, that's one of many characteristics. But in, in Hempel's example, if you have to have a thing, if you're trying to determine whether a thing is a raven and being black is one of those things, then immediately all of the things that are not black are automatically not ravens. And I think the real interesting thing here that underlies this example, like don't get too caught up on on the specifics of the ravens and apples and all that kind of stuff. The real core question that we have here is what is evidence? Yeah. It's what, what is the, what is the concept of proving a statement or, or justifying a hypothesis? Cause you know, the, if you can't prove that all ravens are black by looking at non-black, non-raven things, the alternative would be to like find every single raven out there and say, okay, are all these black? And if the answer is yes, that's great. Congratulations, you've observed every raven. But but you couldn't do that. There's no right. way that you could do that. And furthermore, you might find examples of like, I don't know, albino ravens. Like, is there is there such thing as like a white raven that just doesn't have there like the kind of pigmentation that, cro- that causes black feathers right. and beak and skin in ravens? So uh, it, the, 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 real, the real core of what we're getting at here is it's very difficult to use induction to generate evidence, especially in the case where a dearth of evidence is all you have to work with. Like you don't have any ravens to observe, so you can't work on your hypothesis. But this paradox suggests that maybe you can. This this contrapositive relationship of all A's B, then all non-B's are non-A's. Like that, in some ways that's logical. Like that's that's a logical statement, but it doesn't really work out in practice. It doesn't really constitute what, what evidence is. It doesn't constitute a way to generalize a solution to this problem. Yeah. So, and it, it, it becomes, it's one of those things, the Raven paradox was, um, when researching, it was one of those things where like you're kind of excited about, and then you get into the fact that like, I, first of all, how do these academicians name stuff? Cause you think about like different rules and things like you came up, it could have been anything else. I swear to God, first of all, crows, much smarter than ravens. And ravens just have a cooler name because Edgar Allan Poe got wasted and made up the woman's name Lenore. And now, it's true. Yeah. Which, by the way, uh, follow the house. Follow the house of Usher was one of the most fun things I've watched on Netflix in a long time. It was a great time. Um, great show. Fantastic story. Obviously, yeah, very well. sinister, very scary. Yeah. Perfect watch during Halloween time. Yeah, which is when it came out, which is great. Uh, quote the Raven, nevermore. Okay, so that being said, me making fun of these people like, oh, I was really excited to learn about the Raven paradox. And now I'm like, okay, we're talking about conditions of perfect ignorance and what constitutes evidence for a claim and how these hypotheses work and whatnot. But there are people out there trying to create solutions. And you're like, where's the paradox of this? Like, Well, the paradox is that I can't decide if all Ravens are black based on my mug being blue that i mean it, it which seems inherently true you're like well, okay well i'm not even paying attention right. to this but there have been people chris that have proposed solutions there's this one called goods baby which i find to be hilarious because goods goods baby like the baby of good yeah good is like a good person good hypothesis or apostrophe s baby good um okay so goods baby okay so i'm gonna try to get this right goods baby this guy named good which i will find here in a minute he's that's ij good that's a statistician okay the statistician so he comes up with ij yeah ij good was a british mathematician who worked as a cryptologist at bletchley park oh that's the uh, yeah that's that's the imitation game guy that's uh was benedict cumberbatch there nice yeah exactly it's like it's like it's like the predecessor of britain's like nsa equivalent like the ones that do like cryptology and code ciphering and like electro like signals and and that kind of stuff and that's right around when this would have happened 
Yeah, exactly. And so he worked with, yeah, apparently he worked with Turing to design computers and Bayesian statistics at the University of Manchester. Oh, so so this, is, this is somebody who's using Bayesian mathematics to try to address this apparent paradox in inductive reasoning. It's so cool how, and I look, war is bad, but it's so cool how when you have to win a war and you have to innovate, you get all these geniuses together with like infinity dollars and they're like in their spare time when they're blowing off steam, they just ponder like where the hell are the aliens or like, huh, how do, what if there are ravens and what if they're all black and they're just like solving shit that we're quoting like 80 years later just because they're like blowing off steam after work. I love that. It's kind of a fan. It's kind of a romantic notion actually. Okay. Goods baby. It is in some ways. Yeah. Here's goods baby. This is the, the first thing I'm going to tell you is incredibly important, which we will return to. So I'm going to quote this directly. Imagine an infinitely intelligent newborn baby. Here I am. Okay. <laughs> With a beard. Imagine an infinitely intelligent newborn baby having built-in neural circuits enabling him to deal with formal logic. I love that qualifier because it couldn't even go through the hypothesis, this hypothetical situation without someone said, yeah, but his brain doesn't work. Okay. But imagine that it did. Of course. Okay, fine. We're on a podcast. Imagine that the baby's brain works. He also knows or she, English syntax, and subjective probability. Great qualifiers. Now, the baby yes. could argue that after defining a raven in detail to the baby, that it is extremely unlikely that there are any ravens at all because he hasn't observed them, and that therefore, because of that, all ravens are black. I don't understand that part, but we're going to continue. We'll parse this through later. So that's... All ravens are black. Okay. So that's the first That's the first hypothesis, right? We'll call that H. Sure. On the other hand, and this is the baby working through the reasoning. Remember, this guy helped break the uh, Enigma machine. So this stuff that I'm reading to you is genius. <laughs> on the other hand, the baby goes on to argue that if there are ravens, there is a reasonable chance that they are a variety of colors. So like the, the baby's reasoning through like, it's more likely that they would be more than one color. Sure. Therefore... If the baby were to discover that even a single black raven exists, the baby would consider H to be less probable than it was initially. So as the baby works through logic, he says like, oh, ravens probably are real, so they're all black, whatever. Oh, but wait, if there are ravens, it's more likely that there are more than one color, so therefore it can't possibly all be black. And the importance of this, this is the weirdest part of it. It's like, why the baby? Why not like a man? Who cares? Because good needs us to have the most reasonable idea of perfect ignorance to the actual world. Without that, the baby has to, on its own, come to the conclusion that, oh, if we're discussing ravens, then it's possible that they exist. And if they exist, they won't be limited to one color more than likely, which is true. Most ravens to the big, many zero percentile are, but there are albino ravens. Ergo, the baby concluded that because of per perfect ignorance. So it, it makes sense to me, based on what I know about good, how he arrived at this. So it's okay. it's like the, the baby's belief about the color of the ravens, or the color of ravens in general, as a general rule. The baby's belief about that is affected by observations. And so you mentioned if, if there's some discovery of some non-black raven, then the baby's belief about the blackness of ravens changes accordingly. Well, that, that makes sense because... This is based on a, a kind of approach to statistics called Bayesian statistics. And at its simplest, Bayesian statistics is, and I'm quoting from the Wikipedia page here, it's a theory in the field of statistics based on the Bayesian interpretation of probability where probability expresses a degree of belief in an event. A degree of, so, it's, so, so the number is, is some expression of how strongly you believe some kind of, some kind of idea. So the, the, the article continues here. The degree of belief may be based on prior knowledge about the event, sure. such as the results of previous experiments. So if your prior knowledge about ravens is based on, hey, every raven I've ever seen for you know, the six months that I've been alive because I'm a baby, if every raven you've ever seen is black, then your belief is very strongly influenced by those observations. And so your probability for the blackness of ravens is very high. Or it can be based on personal beliefs about the event. Sure. Like you just got the vibes. Like Edgar yeah. Allan Poe wouldn't write a story about like a red raven. Wouldn't write a story about like a nice, gentle, yellow, summery raven. Yeah. What no. probably happened with all of his stories is he got drunk and then imagined some sort of worst case scenario. That seems like how all of his stories and poems are. So I imagine he's wasted and angry and a raven is squawking at him. And he's like, dang, I've done some bad shit in my life. And then, then he wrote a poem and now here we are. 
Exactly. Well, and I do want to point out that that this kind of Bayesian modeling, the, the reason that this baby model works is because this is an approach to, t- to statistics that is fundamentally different from other ways, from other experiment-based methods of, of understanding statistics. So that was from the Wikipedia article. I'm going to quote here from a, a Nature Reviews article published in January 2021 uh, by some, uh, looks like some Dutch researchers here, uh, Rens van de Schoot. Uh-huh along with several others, Bianca Kramer, Ruth King, Sarah DePauli, several others, many others. And so this is just their explanation in the abstract of this paper that's called Bayesian Statistics and Modeling. So I'm just going to quote this kind of at length here. They, they write, Bayesian Statistics is an approach to data analysis based on Bayes' theorem, where available knowledge about parameters in the statistical model is updated with the information of observed data. Let's say that again. Mm-hmm. Available knowledge about parameters in the model is updated with observed data. So as you're conducting the observation process of seeing more and more ravens, the numbers that you use to kind of weight these ideas in your mind, to, to weight the notion of whether there are black raven, non-black ravens or not, that's changing with each observation. And remember, the, the original paradox was with each new observation of a non-black thing, your hypothesis is stronger. So clearly there's a there's a paradox here, but but it makes sense with the Bayesian model because new observations generate different parameters in the model. In this case, they're, they're stronger in favor of the hypothesis that all ravens are black. Yeah. They continue here. The background knowledge is expressed as a prior distribution and combined with observational data in the form of a likelihood function to determine the posterior distribution. The posterior can also be used for making predictions about future events. So as time goes on, as more data are collected, the model is continually updated. And so it, it, it's it's a way of understanding mathematics. And and I, I, I do want to point out, it's, it's different from like the frequentist interpretation of views of probability, which it, it sees probability as the limit of the relative frequency of an event after several trials. Uh, and Analysis in Bayesian methods codifies prior knowledge in the form of a prior distribution, which is kind of like the mathematical model that this baby would have for analyzing the question of whether ravens are black. Yes. Yeah, so the prior information thing is, is a big part of this. And it's like Good and Hempel seem to go back and forth on this quite a bit. And you love some academic uh, subtweets, which is just like publishing papers. Like, oh, I thought it. Because Good had another solution that I, I find this one really interesting because you have to... If you have perfect ignorance, then the baby wouldn't have anything to reason on because you're like, hey, here's a bird. It's called the raven. It's black. You're like, okay, well, that's actually information overlay. The two, the perfect ignorance, I think. And Hempel kind of really wanted that. And we'll talk about that in here in this proposed solution from Good. Good has another proposed solution. He called it the red herring solution. So red herrings, as you know, um, anybody listening to True Crime Podcasts, it's just a clue in the opposite direction where you're like, this seems like a clue. It's really important in mystery novels because you got to suspect it could be anybody. All right, there have to be Did clues. you ever... Uh- do you remember the Scooby Doo Kids show? Mm-hmm. And, there's and I don't mean like the, the yeah. original cartoon. There was like Four it was kids, like yep. what if the mystery gang was like a bunch of kids and Scooby Doo was a little puppy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you know what I'm you know 100%, what I'm going with this. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a featured there's a recurring character in every episode. There was a character that was like a classic schoolyard bully type of villain, mm-hmm. and his name was Red Herring. Yep. And at every point in every episode. They suspected red herring. They're like, oh, no, red's at it again. We, we got him this time, boys. And every single time, mm-hmm. it would turn out to be somebody else who was introduced. It was like a one-off character in the episode, except for one time. So spoiler alert, if you're going to go back and try to watch the back episodes of Scooby-Doo Kids, red herring actually does. And it's the one episode where they never suspect him. Crazy. <laughs> so, so, so the red herring is like, good, all right, good this writing. Is, this has got your attention. It's like the it's like the equivalent of like watch my hand, watch my hand, watch my hand, and pop. Yeah, pop with the pop, other pop, hand. Pop, pop, pop. Perfect dad trick. Uh, yeah, or it works on works on babies, no doubt. I'm sure, probably maybe even our ignorant baby. Okay, so the red herring is about math. Now, math is fun. This is the red herring solution. Hempel rejected this because you can't have any other evidence of the world. But good puts us into a gives us evidence of the world, and then proves that evidence and this is the fun thing the red herring solution would say that observing a black raven in some instances could prove that not all ravens are black are did you hear what i just said observing a black raven could prove that not all ravens are black that makes no sense like that actually kind of adds to the paradox because like a green apple Mm -hmm. proves that all ravens are black but a black raven doesn't okay so here's how if he gives us two worlds world number one there are 1,100,000 birds. 
There are 100 of them are Ravens. 1 million of them are non-Ravens. All the Ravens are black. That's world number one. Okay? One okay, so there are a million 100 birds. 100 birds are Ravens, yep. and they are all black. And they are black. The other million are non-Ravens. And they are not black. They are all non-black. Yeah, I believe. Actually, that might okay, not so, be important. So, nope. That's not mentioned. Okay. Well, regardless, yeah. there are 100 black Ravens They're and then black. a million non-Ravens, right. and that's the bird population of this world. Yep. World number two. Okay. There are 1,000,000 birds, 1 million okay. non-Ravens, okay. 1,000 ravens, okay. one of which is white, the rest of which oh. are black. If, so we have 999 black ravens, mm-hmm. one non-black raven. Right. And then a million other birds. Right. So if you okay. observed the, exi- the existence of a black bird and that bird was a raven, it's more likely that you are in world number two and therefore not all ravens are black. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. So so you, the question is, which world am I in? Right. And I mean, am I in the world where there are 100 black ravens or I'm, am I in the world where there are 1,000 ravens, 999 of which are black? Right. And my observation is, oh, look, there's a raven. It's black. You're, sa- you're saying to me the chances of that, of me being in one of those worlds is higher than the other, but the world that I'm in is more likely the one with more ravens. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. So the, so the math there is that, okay, of the, of the bird population, the one with more ravens, like the, it's more likely I'm in that one because you've observed, observed a, raven. a raven. Yeah. There's a higher percentage of ravens in the general population. Right. And therefore not all ravens are black. So it, it's not because you're, you're concluding two things simultaneously. One is uh-huh. that I know that if I'm seeing a raven, it's more likely yeah. I, that I'm in the world with more ravens. And if yes. so, then they're not all ravens are black. Wow. Yeah. Because if you're in that world, there is one raven that's known to be non-black. Yes. So wow. Okay. So so observing observing the thing. So it's it's not just that observing a non-black non-raven strengthens a hypothesis. It's also possible that observing a black raven weakens mm-hmm. the hypothesis. Yeah. But Oof. Hempel clapped Oof. back and quoted his own work. Clap, he clapped. He quoted back. himself right. in his own work. So, <laughs> okay. quote. Uh, so he said, it, 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 "No one knew." He says, "This is not a solution to the paradox because uh, if a raven is black, it, is, it doesn't work." Quote by itself. And without reference to any other information. That's when he says it has that by itself without any okay. other information. By, by being in this game of two worlds, it doesn't work. Yes, yes. Quote, blank was emphasized in section 5.2b of my article in mind that the very appearance of paradoxicality, dude, paradoxicality in cases like that of the white shoe results in part of a, uh, a form of failure to observe this maxim. So the white shoe is in reference to like, if I observe a white shoe, it's not proof of a black raven. A black raven is not proof of that all ravens are black. So he was like, oh, oh, oh you're a solution. Read my article, bro. It's in Mind Magazine. Per, per, he, really, he really hit him with the per my last email. He did. It was emphasized. He gave him a section, <laughs> section 5.2B of my article in Mind. I wonder if the wow. Wikipedia references to 502B. Oh, please be in mind. I really doubt it. The white shoe, no red herring. So Craig C. Hempel. So this is a white shoe thing, which is just like the, this is, they're all clapping back each other. But the red herring is the important thing that I want to talk about here. Okay. So that's, that's a way of kind of getting around the paradox in a way that undermines the notion of observation strengthening hypotheses. Right. That's crazy. Yes. That, that, that really is. It's probability, right? really is amazing to me. Well, I, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's like a Bayesian thing. Or, or no, that, that, would that be frequentist? I don't know. I don't know. Either way, it's it's like, okay, what are the chances that I'm observing a bird under this set of conditions or another? And then within that set, what do I know about what do I know about the ravens? The problem the problem here though, I think, and, and I don't know if this comes out in the in the math of the wash at all, because you kind of have to suspend your disbelief because you n- have surveyed the whole bird population. And in either of those two worlds, you either know that there are 100 ravens, 100% of which are black, or there are 1,000 ravens, 99.9% of which are black. But the, the, the principal issue with this whole concept of inductive reasoning as proof to try to generalize a hypothesis is that you couldn't, like it, you couldn't practically gather all that data. Like the point is that you can't go out, I mean, the, unless you're in like a, 
like an aviary where there's just a bunch of birds hanging around, mm -hmm. there's no way that you could sample an entire population. And that's the whole point of the hypothesis in the first place. It's the, the, or the, the paradox in the first place. It's you can gather data without having to have access to the thing about which you're hypothesizing. And it's weird that they're trying to get around that by saying, okay, assume that we can gather all the data about the things about which we're hypothesizing. Mm -hmm. It's like, there's no reason, there's a reason to continue observations at that point, because like, unless, you know, if you assume that the birds aren't, you know, repopulating, they're not making little raven, ravenlets, then <laughs> there's no reason for us to go into this exercise in the first place. And so it's like a completely self-licking ice cream cone. It's like, there's, there's no hypothesis. There is just, there are just data that we've gathered and we can count the exact number of black ravens. Yeah. And so the, the statement is true. And this is like, it gets into some weird fighting between like actual science versus just intense Logic, like I'm going to read this. So this is the orthodox approach. So this is from Neiman Pearson theory of hypotheses. The Neiman Pearson theory of hypotheses testing considers how to decide whether to accept or reject a hypothesis rather than okay. what probability to assign to a hypothesis, right? So we're talking about the probability of all ravens are black. The probability of that being true continues to increase with our observe observations of the world. We're like, that's not, that shouldn't be true. It should just be straight up testable. The other thing that my brain goes instantly to is like, when you think about Good's baby or our observable world, at a certain point, if you want to get to the nuts and bolts of it, you've got to have to you have to define black and you have to define a raven. Because if you see a crow and you see a raven, you have to get into ornithology at some point for this to even be worth discussing. Like, okay, well, how are they related? Are the same genus, species, family? Like, what are we looking at here? And at that point, logic becomes kind of, in my opinion, stupid, and we need to get into science. Like, that's it's an argument. I understand both arguments i understand how the probability works but it kind of in a weird way i wish that that annoying dude who wrote about newton's flaming laser sword had brought this up where i'm like yeah this is sort of one of the things where i understand what you're getting at here philosophically like this all boils down to like well let's fucking find out if all ravens are black then you know like like well, and and I've I've said this before. I I do think that you're you're kind of expressing this logical positivist view that it's like if you can't yeah. falsify a statement or if you can't verify a statement, then it's not really worth making. In a way, Newton's flaming laser sword is just an embodiment of that yeah. that logical positivism that underlies this kind of Bayesian approach to mathematics and and addressing hypotheses and gathering data and, and confirming uh, confirming what we know about the world. It's and and I I think that that is a philosophical point of view. I don't think that that's necessarily, that's not a reflection of like the world that we live in that should just be taken for granted. I, I don't, I don't know that it's worth, I, I don't know that it's not worth discussing ideas that can't be verified or falsified. I, I think that's a preference. And, and yeah. like I said, on that, on that episode, we talked about the philosophical razors toward the end of 2023 that I think that I thought that was a good episode, yeah. Yeah. but I said there, what I'm going to say here, I think that's a statement that says more about the person doing the analysis mm -hmm. than it does about, the nature of the material that we're talking about in the first place. It's, it's like a, it's like literary criticism that tells us more about the critic than about the literature. The, if, if somebody doesn't want to have conversations about non verifiable or non falsifiable yeah. statements, that's fine. And if you want to call it something cool and, you know, auto yourself by saying it's Newton's flaming laser sword, then okay, fine. I can't stop you from playing in the sandbox. Right. But that doesn't mean that you get to take the sand and go home. Other people can have discussions. Yeah, about and that, as well. I think that's that's where we're at with this. So I think that Hempel, from reading the Wikipedia page and diving into some like other analysis, like I'm looking at this this article that was written um, for philosoph philosophy now philosophy um, <laughs> philosophy. Yeah, and it's really basic. It looks like it's about 250 words. It's real simple. Uh, number. P1, all ravens are black. All non-black things are non-ravens. The raven is black. The white thing is not a raven. Like, it make, makes total sense. It's really breakdownable. But these people, that they seem like they kind of knew each other, Hempel and Good and some of these other people, and they really kind of started diving in the weeds and stuff. And I'm, I'm getting the impression that they kind of took this quote-unquote paradox. It's a logic paradox because you're making a conclusion without observing a thing like that the conclusion is about. And they kind of ran and they're like, well, let's explore all these other ideas. Like, well, you're not solving my problem. It's not the same thing. There has to be no observable universe. Like, well, by communicating it in the English language, you have presupposed. And that's why the goods baby thing is important. It's like you communicated it. So if, how would I just know the paradox without you talking about ravens? And then we're in a conversation about birds, you know? Yeah, well, and, and supplementing that idea as we get into the, like the philosophy of language and how language is used to mm -hmm. express notions that were, that were, trying to 
reason through logically. Uh, there's there's an interesting reference here from, so for, this is from OxfordReference.com, which it. is a site that connects and collects all the kind of entries of different Oxford collections, like encyclopedias or dictionaries or whatever. And so I'm going to read you this entry here that's cited as Hempel's Paradox in a Dictionary of Psychology and as Hempel's Paradox in the Oxford Dictionary of Philosophy. So psychology and philosophy, they have to do with perception, they have to do with reasoning. I'm going to quote this here because I think this is a really interesting characterization of the paradox itself. It says that Hempel's paradox is a paradox of induction. So first, suppose that a researcher wishes to confirm the hypothesis that all ravens are black using the logic of induction. So okay. you can induce data points from, from further reasoning. The more black ravens that are observed, the more probable the hypothesis becomes. But instead of going outside and examining the ravens, the researcher may as well just stay indoors and observe a green carpet, a blue skirt, a brown egg, a gray telephone, and so on. Because each of these is a confirming instance of the hypothesis. The reason is that the proposition, all ravens are black, and then the other proposition, all non-black ravens are, all non-black objects are not ravens. Those two things are logically equivalent. Yep. So the, the positive is positive and the negative is not, or the not is also not. Those two things are logically equivalent. They're identical in meaning, different in wording. The entry continues, logicians agree that there is no flaw in this reasoning. The difficulty is purely a psychological one arising from misguided intuition. Also called the confirmation paradox or the raven paradox. See also confirmation bias. Which is our thing, man. So, Welcome back to game theory. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So so I, I think that's a really interesting characterization of this. And, and so we're you and I are kind of like children playing at the edge of the mm -hmm. sea. Like there's this vast ocean of fields of linguistics and philology and logical reasoning and statistics. And we're like little kids kind of letting the beach lap our toes and running away scared. And that's mm -hmm. what this podcast really is. Yeah. But I do think we're getting into some really Good interesting metaphor. stuff here where the question is like, okay, is this, is this about me as the observer or yeah. is this like a real logical truth about the world in which we live? And if so, what does that tell us about how we ought to use mathematics to try to navigate that world? Yeah. Is this confirmation for like a Bayesian approach or a frequentist approach? Or is this like a linguistic issue that needs to be sorted out? Is there a problem with induction? Is the scientific method flawed in some way because of the illogical equivalence of these two statements? I think the answer is generally no, but you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to make that determination rigorously and instead of just resting on my own intuition like assuming that everything kind of works out because it always has for my entire life yeah it's sort of it's or it sort of has this kind of it's almost nihilist in a certain way to be like i don't need to observe ravens because i observed one and every evidence to the contrary is evidence to the to the positive for me so there's almost no reason to do any sort of scientific work or further thought you can be like okay all ravens are black that's my hypothesis by testing it because of the logical equivalence. Um, my window is white. All ravens are black. I was right about this the whole time. And then when you're wrong, you can be like, oh, I guess I'll fuck off. Nothing, nothing to see here. Like you can just like not care. Like you don't have to do any of the work because you've logically concluded that this is true. And every single second of every single day you are adding to this. And unless you're in this one in 10 million, a chance of seeing a rare albino white raven, which do exist um, until that happens, you don't have to do anything. You can simply exist and get infinite confirmation bias. You, you can. And I, I wonder if there's anything to this. I, for, for whatever reason, I'm reminded of... So if you're following like superhero movies mm -hmm. at the moment, sure. like the, the DC universe just had the Flash movie mm. and the, the Sony Spider-Verse just had Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse and whatever else. And now the, the big Marvel movies, the MCU movies, they're all about the multiverse and they're all about mm. different timelines. Rick and Morty is all about this too. Exactly. Rick and Morty is like this. All the all the classic time travel movies are like, oh, I ran into myself. Like I watched the third Harry Potter movie not too long ago. Ooh, it's a good one. Absolute banger. And like they see themselves. And so there's this notion of like different versions of yourself or like what like what if Spider-Man became the Hulk or what like it's just kind of silly thought experiments. And it's it's all about what if there are different kind of versions of this. And so if you see like, okay, well, all ravens are black. You observe a non-black raven. I wonder if you can just say, well, no, that's just like a different version of like a, an alternate universe raven. I'm not saying that there's like a multiverse thing. Yeah. What I'm saying is someone can say, oh, well, no, that's just, that's not a raven. That's a different kind of raven. Or it's yeah. like a it's like a special edition of a raven. And so you can just kind of like reclassify all this stuff. Personally, I'm a little bored of the whole multiverse thing and storytelling because like 
when you talk about infinite universes, I don't think people realize just how tedious that would be. It's like, that means there are nearly an infinite number of universes that exist exactly like this one, where every single event in all places and all times goes exactly the same way chronologically, except for like one tiny string out in some far-flung galaxy that's not observable to us vibrates in a slightly different frequency at a different time. Yeah. Like there'd be so much of that for so many different iterations and so much like different arrangement of the entropy that it would be meaningless. And there's no way you, like, there's not like, oh, there's a universe where I say I love you to the to right. my crush on prom. No, that doesn't happen. Yeah, First of so all, it's never going to happen for you I if think, you're listening to this podcast. But also more importantly, it's just, I, I, I don't, I don't think it, it, it adds up. And so this notion of just like, oh, well, you know, things that I observe that are contrary to my hypothesis, uh, I'd rather preserve my confirmation bias. So I'm just going to classify that as something else. I, I think it's a great way for people to retain their worldviews. Yes. I mean, it helps It helps everything. I mean, obviously, politically, I mean, we dabble in sports arguments mm -hmm. all the time. Like, I can just, mm -hmm. I, I said this today, I can just say whatever I want about sports and nobody can prove me wrong. It's everything is confirmation bias. Watch, I'll do it now. Georgia is a better team than Michigan. I don't care. They won the national championship. I don't tell you. It's like it's nothing. Like nothing can happen. Every there's like infinity evidence of it. Like well, there's evidence to the contrary. I can just ignore it. Um, I will say I like Rick and Morty's better because of what you just said. Um, the multiverse in Rick and Morty is really dark, and it's really like this is actually not something I want to be real. This is really not a great thing that there are just like infinity worlds. Like there's an episode where they completely screw up the world. So like, we're going to go to the multiverse and look for the one that's the closest. We're going to kill ourselves and inhabit this one. And like, they get there and it's like, it's pretty close. There are a couple weird details that are off, but it's basically the same because it's infinite. And um, like that kind of thing, like that's dark, man. Like that, that's, and that's, I think that like what you're saying, Harry Potter and time travel and stuff is fantastical, but in this like logical spiral, it's not a happy thing. No, it's it, it's not, and I and I think it's just it's exhausting to me to watch as like a movie fan. First of all, I got yeah, I don't it's really boring. It. It's getting boring, but, but, right? But second of all, I I I think it as far as this paradox goes, I do think this is kind of a gateway. This like oh, that's just a different version of a thing that I already understand. Yeah. It's a way for me to incorporate new data without having to change a single thing about like the the rictus of my ossified preconceived notions. Like that architecture remains intact. I don't have to change that at all, and I can still just like absorb the new data as they come to. As me. I as I think about it, this is the most intense evidence for my academic journal of negative results because then you could be like, I'm observing a white window. Is it a raven? And then in my journal, I'll be like, No, it's not a raven, bro. And nope. then be like, Is it for sure not a raven? And then the academic reviewer's like. 100% not a raven and then you're not in logic you're in science you're like oh dude and then maybe you stumble on something like that not being a raven is how we made this giant leap in physics that's going to be the that's going to be the fan mail section of the of the journal of negative results people just writing in like yeah I saw a green soda can today it was not a raven <laughs> first episode is just an entire editorial an editorial section like my coffee mug is not a raven <laughs> I've seen so many non-ravens today yeah I'm looking at black. one right now Speaking of Ravens, RIP to the Ravens and Lions. RIP Lamar. Ooh. Not great. We'll get Not him next great, year. Bob.